it's not uncommon that uh, the worship service just comes together. And if you've ever saw the movie, uh, any of the Book of Secrets, National Treasure stories, and how there were signs throughout the movie that pointed to the conclusion. As I looked at the songs that David chose today, there were just certain lines in certain songs that just pointed to this conclusion. And then these dear ladies just, I knew, I knew the song, I, they, they sent it to me and I'd listen to it. It's even better than I thought. You know, you brought me to the desert so you could be my water. You brought me to the fire so you could be my shield. You brought me to the darkness so you could be my morning light. If you brought me this far, if you brought me this far, wherever you lead me, I know you won't leave me. Wherever you call me, you will make a way. Wherever we're going, I will be holding to the promise you have made. You will make a way. Because one says, when I'm in the valley, you will be my comfort. And when I'm at the end of me, I find you there. And when I'm in the battle, you will be my present peace. Because you brought me this far. You brought me this far. Wherever you lead me, I know you won't leave me. Wherever you call me, you will make a way. Where we're going, I will be holding to the promise you have made. You will make a way. My God will make a way. Let's pray together. God, we certainly are grateful for this wonderful opportunity to share this final message in our Crosstalk series. And, and what a way to end and what a way to begin the sermon with these wonderful words from a songwriter that just sums it all up and puts it together. That you are a faithful, faithful God. That you will never leave us and that you will never forsake us. So thank you for that. Holy Spirit, one, I, I need every week... I need your anointing. I want to pray that you'll help me today to make this clear because the message is so powerful. The word is so powerful. So I, I need your anointing to help me to speak clearly today. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, for each person that's gathered in this room and the ones who are right now listening on the radio um, throughout the airwaves as this message goes out. Speak to our hearts. Help us to hear, understand, believe. And apply your word today. Jesus, we thank you for the cross journey. Thank you for the privilege of over the last six weeks. And now this seventh week. The week of completion. Seven being the number of completion. As we complete this series today. Um, I want to pray you'll be made really big today. Especially to the ones who may be in a valley. The ones who are facing difficulty. I want to pray God especially. Um, for your magnification so they can see you big today. So thanks, and we love you, Jesus, and pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, we really are glad that you are with us today. Thanks so much for coming, and thank you, ladies, for that powerful song. And we have. We have come to the end of our Crosstalk series for the last six weeks, and this being the seventh week. And I hadn't thought about that, but it's funny that seven is the number of completion in the Bible. Um, God's number is three, the Trinity. Man's number is four, the four seasons, the four points of the compass. And you put those two together, and they call it the number of completion. How appropriately that there are seven sayings from the cross and this number seven is the completion of it all. So we've come to the end and I want to speak this morning about trusting God. 
I want to speak to you about trusting God. You know, um, as much as the proponents of, of in God we trust don't like it, you know, the truth is, you know, I love it the way this year, this, these years, they seem to be trying to rewrite history. <laughs> and it's really hard to do to hide the truth. And our country has been founded on Christian principles. Now, don't take that further than I mean it. Um, to say that somehow America is God's chosen people would just not simply be true. But this nation was founded on the principles of God's word. And, and from the get-go, from early on, we cried out to God to be a part of our belief system in this country called America. And, and it was, and again, the founding fathers... Well, you, Junior and I are going to be going to Washington sometime in September, and, and I'm looking forward everywhere you look on public buildings there. You can't get away from the, from the fact the Bible's everywhere and God's everywhere because the founding fathers understood that a nation without God is a nation that's doomed to fall. And so it was, it's not funny then, it's not surprising that, that later on, it wasn't long before messages were being sent to Washington, uh, the state, the, the DC, the capital, you know, calling for some kind of recognition of, of our dependence on God. And it really struck up a big, strong chord in the Civil War, perhaps because the nation was in danger of being ripped apart. But a, a pastor wrote Congress and said, surely we need some way to declare our dependence on God. And I think they wrote back, it's okay, we'll come up with something. And he came up with something, and they made a slight twist to it. And, of course, it became our national motto, in God we trust. And in some form, that's really been on the coinage of America, uh, really from the get-go, from the very beginning. But it picked up steam on the coinage of America throughout the decades of America. And then finally, um, in 1956, uh, Congress, if you can now let me slow down and say that word again, Congress voted to make In God We Trust, yes, I said Congress, voted to make In God We Trust the national motto. And um, President Eisenhower uh, signed that into law on July the 30th, 1956. I was a strapping young two-year-old when that was done. And, of course, some of y'all were old even then, so there you go. Um, but anyway, anyway, so in 1956, it became the national motto. And slowly, and I was surprised to learn this, slowly it was added to our printed currency. Um, the last bill to be added to was 1964 with the $100 bill. And the reason it took so long is because the expense of changing the plates and the type of printing that they were using, all those different things. But slowly it was added onto our currency in God we trust. Now, amazingly, Eisenhower, we're pretty sure Eisenhower added that to the currency because if you remember what was going on in 1954, 5, 6, 2, 1, all in there, of course, was the Great Cold War was really gaining steam. And, and Eisenhower was fearful of the godless communists impacting America. So he and a lot of others felt like we needed that printed in God we trust to combat the communists. Little did they know that the greatest enemy toward in God we trust would not come from the outside. It would come from the inside. And in this culture that we live in today, um, we, of course, have a lot of people who'd love to see, in God we trust, disappear off our money. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it is disappearing in our culture as a principle by which we live 
in God we trust. We must not let that happen in our lives. We must not let that happen in lives, our lives. We've got to be so careful that whenever the culture looks at our lives, they see a people that trust in God. And amazingly, after this great journey that we've taken, and I don't think we probably need to take time to, to walk through them again, but through these seven sayings of the cross, we, of course, saw Jesus over and again thinking of others, praying for others, speaking to others. We, particularly of importance was we saw his humanity. We saw him uh, acknowledging the forsaking of God. We, we saw him um, you know, saying you know, that that is finished, it was complete. Uh, to test a lie, we, that was last week, the Greek word. We saw that, and then finally we come down to this end of the time. And you, know, you think when you said it is finished that that's the end, but there was one more saying, and it speaks about Jesus trusting the Father. And, of course, he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Um, each of the gospel writers had a different take on what was said on the cross. And today we want to camp in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, if you'll take your Bibles and turn there. Luke chapter 23, we see just a couple of things that, that Luke, the doctor, the Gentile doctor, um, who probably, no, we know, he interviewed different people and got his take on the gospel and then wrote it. And of course, he also wrote the book of Acts. And so Luke, the Gentile doctor, tells us today of all his interviews with people, this is what happened through his eyes, the way he, excuse me, not through his eyes, through his ears, the way that he heard it told. Now, part of this, obviously, is part of the story. We've heard it already. But again, he just puts a little different spin. And we have a couple of points. I don't usually do points anymore. But we're going to see, first off, what did God say? That day, what did God say? And what he said, he did without speaking. What he said that day, he did without speaking. Here's how it goes. In Luke 23, 44, we read these words. And again, don't go over this too quickly. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land unto three. So it was about noon, and darkness, again, Dr. Luke gives us a different take of words. It's about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three. Now, you know, in just a couple of weeks, what is it, um, August the 21st, again, we're having this eclipse, and again, Carbondale is like ground zero. Um, I think it's like one o'clock in the afternoon, I believe. We're going to get about a minute and 40 seconds of totality right here in Harrisburg. Um, you know, it's going to happen again in about seven years, but the last time it happened in the St. Louis area was way back around before the Civil War, a long time before that. So it's a really important deal. But that totality, and they're saying the birds are going to, you know, roost. The, the cows are going to head to the barn as darkness comes, and they're going to be all confused. Some of us are going to be confused. Some of us live confused. Um, but anyway, some of us live confused. But anyway, this was not an eclipse. This was a miracle. This was a miracle. Um, the, these words came to my mind this morning as I was studying. You know, nature, creation, is at the beck and call of the Creator. Creation is at the beck and call of the Creator. And you might say, well, how could God cause it to be dark for three hours? Because creation is at the beck and call of the Creator. When you create it, you can command it. When you create it, you can command it. 
And so this was not, this was not a, a eclipse. In fact, one of the commentaries made it very clear when it says over the land, it wasn't like over that hilltop. It wasn't like over Jerusalem. This commentary said that the entire earth where it was daylight was then encased in darkness. And it's almost like the sun hit its face as, as Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus Christ became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's almost like God turned the lights out on the whole earth and hiding the shame that was placed on his son. It's really quite amazing. It's quite amazing. It's quite a miracle. So, so for three hours, darkness came over the entire land, the entire earth. And why? Because the sun's light failed. There you go. The sun light failed. You know, there's a story over in Joshua in chapter 10. It's amazing. It says these words. And Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered uh, up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the, in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajion. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. And so, so we know back in Joshua's time, God, God commanded the sun to stand still for an entire day. Certainly no big deal to stand still for three hours. Interestingly enough, by the way, when the Passover, when the children of Israel were being called out of the land of Egypt, and right before the Passover, one of the plagues was darkness in the land of Egypt, not for three hours, but for three days. But for three days. And now before the great Passover, when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to die on a cross, there's darkness for three hours. So the sunlight failed on the earth. And then verse 45 is huge. Now, if you're a note taker, and if not, turn on your memory button. And this was one of the lines that was in that song, one of the songs that David sang today. It says in verse 45, the second part, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. The curtain in the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Matthew wrote it this way, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earthquake and the rocks split. Now, now what is the significance of all that? You know, what is the big deal about that? Well, let's go back. Let's go back all the way to the garden and not spend a lot of time, but let's go back to the garden because it was there that fellowship and relationship with God was broken in Genesis chapter 3. It was before that, these, these God, holy God and man were in perfect harmony. And then when, when man chose to rebel against God, that fellowship and that relationship was broken. And so... From that time, God set forth a plan to bring man and God back together. But the truth is, until that happened, it was a hostile environment. We don't like to think that, but over and over again we read in scriptures that, that there's this entity, there's this war between lost man and God because he's holy and we are sinful. 
So in that natural state, there's an entity, there's a war, there's an enemy going on between God and man because he's holy and we're sinful. And so there's this hostility with God. Um, do you remember when the children of Israel got out of Egypt and, and God appeared up on the mountain with Moses and Moses goes, on, goes up on the mountain and God showed up on top of the mountain and God said this, don't let the children of Israel come up on the mountain because they will surely die. They will die. Closeness with God without relationship is a deadly deal. Close relationship or close proximity to God without relationship is a deadly deal. There's a story in the Old Testament um, when, when the Ark of the Covenant had been made, and that kind of represented the, the uh, presence of God. And David decided he's going to take it back to Jerusalem. And so they're taking it, and they weren't doing it according to the rules. We do that a lot. And they had an ox cart, and the ox stumbles, and a guy that was walking next to the Ark of the Covenant reached up to do a good thing to steady the ark, to keep it from falling. And the Bible says, bam! Instantly he was dead. Instantly he was dead. Close proximity to God without a relationship is a deadly thing. Well, nothing symbolizes that more than this sanctuary, this curtain they talked about. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. You know, there's the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. Now, stay with me on this. This is quite interesting. There was the holy place and the holy of holies. And this curtain, you know, I've read the curtain is supposed to be like six inches thick. It was of woven goat hair and sheep wool, and it was six inches thick. And it symbolized that God is holy and you're not. God is holy and you're not. And one time a year, one time a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice for the people. And what's, again, I've been told this, and I think it's true, is that they would do two things before the high priest went in. They would put bells on the bottom of his garment. And they figured as long as the bells were dinging, God hadn't killed him. See, the Holy of Holies was a dangerous place for sinful man. Because God was... Now, God wasn't antisocial, okay? God was holy, and man was sinful. So, going into the Holy of Holies is a very important, stringent rule you had to follow. And boy, you could die in there. And so, when they heard the bells dinging, they knew that he hadn't died. And the other thing they did was, I was told, is that they put a rope on him. They would tie a rope around his ankle. Why would they do that? Because if the bells quit dinging and he was dead, they could drag him out and not leave the decaying corpse in the Holy of Holies. The Holies of Holies was a dangerous place. Close proximity to God without a relationship is a dangerous, deadly deal. Then comes this. Then comes this. Jesus is on the cross. Darkness, at the end of the darkness, he cries out and says, it is finished to testify, to telestai, it is finished. And then the Bible says that at the end of that, this curtain is ripped. And it's really cool because Matthew adds a detail that we need to know. And he says, again, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. 
It's like God reached down from heaven, starting at the top, and rips this curtain open. Now, do you understand what that means? Again, the curtain separated sinful man from holy God. And when he cried out and said, it is finished, and God reaches down and opens up that curtain, literally rips the curtain in two, he says, come on in. Now, this is huge. Was God any less holy? So all of a sudden he could allow compromise and sin? No. But when Jesus cried out and said, it is finished, it meant that men and women and children who believe in this can become holy as God is holy. This is huge. This is huge. So what God said was, is what was, what was uh, non-accessible before becomes accessible. What was deadly before now comes delightful. Where he said, you know, I, I, it tickles me. And I know people have got reasons for doing it. But all over Harrisburg, you see houses with no trespassing all over it. Like, what's that for? And so God would have a sign up that said, no trespassing. He takes the sign down and hangs out this big sign that says, by grace, through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, through faith, the welcome sign is out. Come on in. Now, that's big. If, I, know, I know if you don't get the holiness of God and how deadly that was, you probably don't really go, whoo. But when you start understanding just how simple we are and how holy God is, and for God to do that and Jesus to do that and give us the opportunity to believe it is just simply huge. So the curtain is ripped apart, and God says, come on in. You know, we stumbled into a verse a couple of weeks ago that I just want to briefly do a flashback on. I just want to revisit because the truth of it was really large in view particularly of these two scriptures, that the curtain was ripped. And it's, of course, Hebrews 4.16. And here's what it says. Therefore, let us approach. Now, I told you that day, the word approach is a worship term. It's not a term of fear. It's not, it's not like before the high priest, I mean, he would, he would dot every I and cross every T because his life was on the line when he went that one time a year, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had to make sure everything was done right. So he would dot all, the, dot all the I's and cross all the T's before he went in. And he went in with fear and trepidation. This term, rather than be a terming of fear and trepidation, is a, is a word of worship. Word of worship. We can approach the throne of grace. No longer is the holy of holies a place to fear it's a place of grace. God has opened up his presence to whosoever will. Come on now. He's opened his presence, Maggie, to whosoever will. White man, black man, rich man, poor man, German, American, Spanish, Central Asia. He says, whosoever will may come. May come. He opens it up. 
And it's, a, it's, a, it's no longer a place to fear, but rather it is a place of grace. And we can come to that place with boldness, with confidence. Listen, if you are a child of God today, and by that I mean, if you have reached a point in your life when you realized you were a sinner, when you were willing to turn from your sin, believe in what Jesus Christ did on that cross, and choose to follow Him, when you did those things, you became a child of God. I love those lines in that song that say, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I'm going to tell you, with my relationship with God and with your relationship with God, you are no longer a slave to fear. You don't have to fear God. You can delight in God because you're not a slave to fear. You are a child of God. You didn't get religious and you didn't just join a church. If you met Jesus Christ as Savior, if you experience His redemption, you are a child of God. There's no higher calling. There's no higher calling than to be called a child of God. How amazing is that? So, therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy. Receive this unmerited kindness and Find grace, find favor to help us at the proper time, or I think the good old King James says it, in the time of need. So if you're there today, and you're a child of God, and there's something going on in your life, and you are in time of need, there's a sickness, there's an illness, there's someone you love who's in critical condition, there's a marriage about to fall apart, there's a child walking away, when you need to know that you can approach the throne of grace, and you're going to find, hello, you're going to find kindness. And you're going to find grace to help you in the time of need. It's time to stop running from God and start running toward Him. It's time to stop running from God and start running toward Him. Even, even in this thing that we call the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer. You know, in Matthew 6, 9. Listen to these words again from a while back. Pray then like this. Jesus is teaching on prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I remember when I taught you that back whenever it was. I told you that the terminology of referring God, Father, was totally foreign to the nation of Israel. I think like three, four times in all of the New Testament, God is called Father. And it was always nationally and not individually. And all of a sudden, here's the Lord Jesus Christ looking forward to the day when he would say, it is finished. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ looking forward to the day and saying, now, now, there's coming a time... When you cannot call God just God, you can call Him Father. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul said we can call Him Abba Father, which is dearest Father. That's huge. That's huge. Here's the Creator God of the universe who invites us to call Him Daddy. Dearest Father. How incredible is that? That's what God said when he ripped the curtain. Didn't utter a word, but God said access is available. No longer has there, is there a barrier, does there have to be a barrier between me and you because of what my son Jesus Christ did on the cross. Not because of your religion, not because of your denomination, not because you think you're good enough, but because of God's amazing grace. And then we get to Jesus. 
This is what Jesus said that day. And this is Luke 23, 46. It says, Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, the seventh saying of the cross, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Father, into your hands... I entrust my spirit. I think it's quite amazing because you remember just a few minutes earlier, because again, this is all compressed in six hours. These last six weeks are compressed in six hours. Okay? And so, so not too er much earlier, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now, just a few minutes later, he says, Father. See, he didn't lose faith in the Father. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It was a statement of trust. And then you know what happened? He just died. He just died. Let that soak in. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. You know, let, let me mess with your head today. I'm just trying to give you something to think about, okay? I'm pretty certain. Now, we understand, you understand that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. And we do understand that he chose to lay aside parts of his power when he became a man. I mean, he could have killed every Roman soldier there by blinking an eyeball but he chose not to do that. He had the power to do something, and he chose not to. So understanding all of that, let me mess with your head. I'm pretty certain I can say with authenticity that never has there been a day when God died until that day. Never has there been a day when God in the flesh, if that's more comfortable for you, when God in the flesh died. Until this day. Are you understand what I'm saying? This is something. When he died. He breathed his last. I wonder what that was like for Jesus. He died. I mean. He was human. And he died. Father, into thy hand. And that's why he's, why did he say, Father, into thy hands, to thy hands I commit my spirit. Why did he even say that, Phil? Because he's going where, at least in his human side, he had never been. He died. Not trying to be facetious and not trying to be funny. But, you know, it's like he was standing on a cliff. And he hollers out, Geronimo. And jumps. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he dies. This is pretty important. You want to know why that's pretty important? Because like Hebrews said, here's a man who knew all that we endure, yet without sin. When you go to the hospital and you see your loved one lying there about to say Geronimo and jump. There's a Savior who did that. When you're laying on your deathbed and you're a child of God, 
Just remember this. Jesus had been where you are, where you are, where you are. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. You know, Patrick Overton, this is for us more than about the story, but Patrick Overton in 1985 wrote this little saying. I passed it out several times at church. It goes something like this. This is from memory, so it may not be exactly right. But when you've gone as far as you can go, and the next step is darkness, you must believe God and trust and have faith that either God will give you something to step on or teach you how to fly. Here's my Savior, your Savior, on the cross. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he trusts the Father. And he yields his life. I still love to say it. They couldn't kill him if they tried. I don't care how much his body was destroyed. They couldn't kill him if they tried. He yielded his spirit. He died. Jesus knows your hurt. Jesus knows your pain. He, another line from one of the songs, talking about shepherd. The great shepherd, the great king shepherd, believed the words of another king shepherd named David. He believed it. Remember these words? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you remember those words? Jesus believed those words. Are you getting this? He believed those words. When he... When he was nailed to the cross, about to die, and he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In other words, I'm trusting you. He stopped breathing. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because Jesus believed his Father was with him. Oh, my goodness. When your loved one comes to the point of death, believe that God is there. When you face that point of death, You've got to believe that God is there. And not some wimp God, but the creator God, the magnificent God, the God of all creation is there. It hadn't been written yet, but Jesus believes 2 Corinthians 5.1. Here's what it says there. Paul wrote this later. For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God. Now, that's what happened here. This is the whole death process. His earthly temple was destroyed. Again, I don't think they could kill him if they tried, but they did their best to destroy his temple. They beat him, they spit on him, they plucked him, and they nailed him to a cross. And Paul would later say, he says, you know, we know if this thing, if this earthly temple is destroyed, we have a building from God. Jesus knew the power of the resurrection because he's the resurrection and the life. They could destroy this body if they wanted to, but he was going to get up again. He was going to get up again. That's what, oh, that's what they call Easter. <laughs> Resurrection Sunday, you remember that? He was going to get up again. He has a, a, a building from God, an eternal dwelling, and the heavens not made with hands. They may have destroyed what was on the cross, the body, 
But three days later, he resurrected again and was given a glorified body. Remember that glorified body that could walk through walls? I don't know. Listen, if I had my preference, I'm going to be skinny and taller with hair in heaven. I don't know if you get those wishes. I'm not sure there's a line where you line and go, and what kind of body would you like? I'm just hoping it's a little taller, a little more hair would be a good thing. But walking through walls, yet can eat fish and honeycomb? How amazing is that? A body, this is important for somebody here, a body that doesn't get sick. A body that doesn't know the pain of arthritis. A body that doesn't wear out. That's your glorified body. That was the glorified body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he believed that. So when he cried out and said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He could die. Because he believed. He believed. He believed his Father. We should believe in Jesus and the Father. Does that make sense? Maybe you some chew over on lunch. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it's, it's a verse, you might say, well, why did you pull this one? Well, there's a reason. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, these are, these are beware of trust breakers, beware of faith breakers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Now, let's, let's delete the money part, although that might be very appropriate. Because see, when he says, keep your life free from the love of blank, what is it that you love more than God today? What is it that when your time comes and you're standing on that cliff about, say, Geronimo, are you going to say, boy, I wish I had not? Keep your life free from those. And be content with what you got. Now, I'm sure Paul had in mind about Food and clothing and simple things of life. But let me tell you this. Someone needs to hear this. You need to be content with God. Not the God you've got in mind. Not the God who says, well, I would like God a lot more if he'd give me a new Mustang or Cadillac. I would like God a lot more, love God a lot more if he'd let me win the lottery. I, I would love God a whole lot more if he'd give me a different wife. No. Just love God for what he is. What is he, Dwayne? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Be content with what you got. If you've got Jesus, you've got enough. If you, come on. If you've got Jesus, you've got enough. You've got what you need if you've got Jesus. Be content with what you've got. Because... He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, see, Jesus knew the Father. Now, with a caveat of those hours of darkness, he knew his Father was going to be there for him. And I want to tell you something. Jesus will be there for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear for what can man do to me. Let me give you one more thing before we close. It's just amazing. Again, it, it speaks of the power of God and the faithfulness of God. If, when your time comes for you to step off into that darkness and say, Geronimo, or when there's a time when you've got to trust God when it makes no sense, remember this. 
It's in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. This is the English Standard Version. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, where can I go and you won't be there? The psalmist is asking a question. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I could jump onto a rocket ship and shoot off into the stars, no matter how far momentum would carry me into outer space, God's already there. No matter where you're shooting off to, God is already there. Do you believe that? See, we're worried about retirement and do I have a job and what about this and what about that? I got to ship my kids to Korea next Saturday morning. I don't care about Sarah and Blake. Don't tell them I said that, Anita. But those three little boys are going to be on an airplane with them and going about 600 miles from a crazy dictator. You know? I've got to believe that God's already there. God's got this. I ain't. I, I want to have it. I want to pick it up. I'm not sure what I'll do with it, but I, just let me handle it, God, and I'm not sure I would do it unless I take them to Canada. They're okay with it, by the way. I'm just wrestling with it. I think, well, Pooter's already heading that way today. Hmm. God's got it. God's got it. If, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in, in soul, soul, which is death, if I make my place in death, you're there. So when the time comes and you're standing on the, on the edge of the cliff and you're about to say Geronimo and you're about to step off to where no one's been before, no one's been before, you're about to step off, the scripture says, don't worry, Jesus is there. Come on now. When you've got to say goodbye to a loved one, just know this. If that man knows, that woman knows Jesus, he's standing on the cliff, he's about to go, well, Jesus will still be there. goes on and says this. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, pause. Whenever you see the sea, you think restless. The sea is uncertainty. That's why the guys were freaking out when Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they were afraid. Don't you care? We're about to die. All this restlessness, uncertainty. And, and the psalmist says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Hmm. So if I go as far as I can go, he's there. If I go down as far as I can to the depths of soul, Shoals, he's, he's there. If, if I go on the sea of uncertainty in life, he's there. And I love this. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Have you ever been in a place like that? You feel like you're enveloped in darkness? And, and that the Light about me be night. Every, everywhere you look, it could be depression, oppression. It just be where you are. The circumstances are so hard. All you can see is darkness. I got good news for you. Because the psalmist says, even, even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. Is Bennett here today? 
All right, Ben, I'm fixing to slaughter something. Get ready. See, animals, some animals, have night vision. Okay, here we go. It's hard. I looked it up online. <sighs> I'm afraid if I say it wrong, it'll really come out wrong. <laughs> Tapetum lucidum. Close enough? <laughs> yeah, you think the tell slide was cool. Tapetum lucidum. Okay, let's have prayer. What is that? Well, in some animals, invertebrates, there's a membrane behind the retina. And what it does is, what available light there is that passes through the retina, retina, this membrane reflects that light back into the retina to allow the animal to see in the darkness. It's one of the things that get along with rod and cones, whatever that's all about. But along, that's one thing that gives an animal the ability to see in the darkness. That's why lions and things like that hunt at night because their eyes are not like our eyes. To a lion, night is like day. I got something better than that. The lion of Judah has night vision. Come on! The Lion of Judah has night vision. And no matter, no matter how dark your life seems, no matter how dark your life seems, if you know Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, He can see. He can see. He's with you. He won't forsake you in your darkest hour. What you cannot see, He will see. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Wow. Wow. That's our God. So whether you're hanging on a cross or whether it seems like you're hanging on a cross or whether you're facing a difficult situation or whether your marriage is on the rocks and you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or there's a child who's walking a distance or there's a parent who's walking a distance, whatever it is, you can trust this one. Preachers will fail you. Religion will fail you. Woo-hoo. Church will fail you. But God never will. And forever that cross says, when Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, he said the same way, the same way I commit my spirit to my Father, you can commit my spirit to me. That's what he said. God is a God who can be trusted. Just write this reference down. I want to read it and we're done. It's Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. This is your take-home verse. It's your take-home verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. No matter what you're facing, God has you're back. You can trust him. Let's pray together. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I, 
again, I just pray this feeble attempt at this beautiful scripture. I just pray that God has spoken to your heart today. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ and you're, you're at war with God, I know that sounds harsh and hard, but the truth is there's a holy God and if we're left in our sin, we're at war with Him. He wants the war to end. That's why the cross occurred. That's why He wanted any person who would be willing to trust His Son and believe in His Son could have forgiveness of sins. If you're there today, you don't need church. You don't need religion. You need Jesus. You need the gospel. You need the Son of God. And be our privilege today, best I could during the message today, I shared it with you, but be our privilege right now during our time of decision. If you'll come and say, Dwayne, I want to know more about this. I have some friends who will pray with you and try to answer your questions. The most important decision we can ever make is Jesus Christ receiving him. If you're here today and you're a believer, and you're walking some dark hills right now, there's an old song that says, God walks the dark hills. If you're walking the valleys and dark hills right now, there's a God with night vision. And he promises to never leave you and never forsake you. No matter what your Geronimo is, you're standing on the preface fixing to jump. And you don't know what's on the outside. Believe that God will either give you something to step on or will teach you how to fly. He is faithful. Perhaps you're here today and you just want someone to pray with you. Perhaps you're here today and you want to know about joining this fellowship. Perhaps you've never been baptized. You say, what's this baptism thing about? We'd be glad to talk with you about that. Let God be your God in a bigger way today than you ever imagined. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this privilege again. I ask, Lord, that you will bless our time of decision now. If there's someone here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior, may today be that day. May you show them and draw them and pull them, Holy Spirit, into the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glorious truth of the cross. Father, for our hard times, our dark times, either us or people we love, thank you for being faithful. Thank you that you will be there. You will not leave us. You will not forsake us. Thank you that night is as day for you. Line of Judah, Thank you for being there for us. Now, please have your way through the Holy Spirit working in this time of decision. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.